Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Some of you still need coffee. I said that this morning in our prayer group before the meeting, and everybody was sort of the same way. So there is coffee downstairs if you need coffee. So, uh, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that I, uh, by God's grace, have studied and been able to prepare to come and preach God's word to you this morning. Um, since the beginning of the year, uh, as a church, we have been going through what I would say is something like our DNA of a church. Hey, if you were to sort of pull back everything, look through the curtains and go, what is Pillar Church known by? Uh, we have been going through what we call our values. And we put our values in various places. There's stuff right over there this morning uh, on that banner back there. But we've been talking about things like the Bible and risk-taking faith, bold evangelism, intentional discipleship, and the Great Commission. And this morning, we're going to be looking at selfless service. Selfless service. And so... Um, we, we, we're going over these things because we really want to, uh, uh, us as a church to be known by these things. That if someone comes and looks and inspects us, that, that these are the fruits that we're bearing as a church. That these are the things that we're doing to love one another, to make Christ known to the world, to equip one another for the work of the ministry. And, and I pray that you are definitely encouraged to that end this morning as we think, think about selfless service and how as you've heard all morning this morning that we have been selflessly served and we sang that song a minute ago we have been selflessly served by our savior jesus christ who took his crown off and came to earth in the form of a child and we're going to see that this morning but i want to start with this thought though because it's been it's been increasingly evident to me as i look at the world and look at the church and sometimes even hear from our own mouths, my own heart, these lies and these thoughts. But we live in a time, an age, where the almighty self is the very center of all of thought and action. Many around us and even we at times believe that what we say we are or what we think we ought to be or what we should be is the, should be the very center of all of who we are. And then there's times where we're, for, we're, we're coerced to be bent our, bend our wills and our determination to be whatever we say that we are. There are two cultural currents that are feeding these ways of thinking. One is the, the thought of self-exaltation. That you are the most important person in this room right now. The other is self-actualization. Just speak it into being and you'll become it. These ideas even flow from many of the pulpits publications and podcasts that we are encouraged to listen to and consume outside of this regular gathering. You don't have to look very far. Bookshelves in the bookstores, the Kindle selections and for your digital libraries, the dietary plans of the day, along with all the self-help strategies, and the burgeoning desire of our flesh to become influencers on TikTok and Instagram, all point to the centrality of self. Few are doing this for the good of humanity and the provision of their family. It actually can be a job to be an influencer. 
And there's good money to be made there. But I fear, I truly fear that many are doing so because of the worth, the identity, and the values that likes, reposts, and followers give us rather than the worth, identity, and the Father that the Father gifts us as His children. And now... There's this new movement that's taking over in all the craze. This idea of manifesting. Self-realization where if you want to be a certain way or you want to have a certain thing, all you need to do is intently focus and be single-mindedly pursuing that personality trait or that thing. And if you speak it, then the universe is going to give it to you. Friends, that has nothing to do with Jesus. If you want something so bad, whether a characteristic or an object, that you're willing to commit single-minded focus for days, months, and years until you get that thing so that you'll be satisfied and then valuable, let me tell you, that's not Christianity. That's idolatry. But it is so prevalent. It's everywhere. And both currents lead us to place our hopes, our dreams, our values, our identity, and our worth squarely on us and our fleshly desires and not on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. What are we doing? Quite frankly, both self-exaltation and self-actualization are not the way of humble, selfless servant Jesus, who considered others more highly than he considered himself. And he calls his people, the church, to do the same. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible today, I pray that you do. I want to ask you to open up your word, your, your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black Bible in front of you or around you in the pews. I ask you to open that up to page 980. You'll find Philippians chapter 2 there. I want to read for us this text and see how this call to selfless service is found in our selfless Savior. Philippians chapter 2, Paul's letter, starting in verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own desires or his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that as we have now heard your word spoken, as we see Christ as the excellent example, the perfect example of humility and selflessness, I pray, God, that we would long to be like our Savior. And not like those who influence us so easily in the world. Oh God, may we humbly consider what it means to give of ourselves. To be interested in others' interests. To not be at the center of the world. Oh God, we need your help. Aid us in this time. And God, may our hearts be fertile, fertile soil that the gospel and your word would bear fruit in us. Be with us now as we continue to study and think about your word. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So the main point of the text that we're looking at today is that Paul is calling us to selflessly serve When we humbly consider others more significant than ourselves. And today the the sermon is going to flow out in two points. I'm going to focus on selfless service. And then I'm going to talk about a humble consideration of others. But before we dive completely into the text here and and go back over a few verses, I want to help us grab, get some handlebars about what's going on in the text and background. Because when we jump into a letter like this, it's a little difficult to, to know what all is going on. Um, here in first uh, in uh, this argument that Paul is crafting in 2 through 11, it, it's a continuation of, of what he's already been writing. I mean, you see there verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, so. so. So Paul's staking everything that he's writing in verses 1 through 11 on something that he's already written. And and primarily, he's tying that so all the way back to 127. Look with me there at uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul believes that this text reveals that if our lives are worthy of associating with the gospel of Jesus, then they are lives that are full of unity, And full of humility. For the Philippian church, and I may add every church in the world, there are two real threats to the life of the church. There are external threats, which Paul has been talking about all through chapter 1. And there are internal threats to the people of God. And as a shepherd of a church... 
One of my responsibilities, one of the responsibilities of those of us who shepherd Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., is to keep your eyes, our eyes, upon these two real threats that they do not have their influence and their desires among us. We will not stand if we are a divided people. We will not stand if we are a selfish people. That's what Paul is telling us. Division among the people of God arises from the worldly pressures and false teaching that threatens from the outside of the church. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not saying that the only place that false teaching and fleshly or worldly pleasures or pressures are found is outside of the church. It can arise from within. But another job that I have as a pastor of this church is to try to keep that as far away from the door of the church as possible. The other threat is selfishness expressed within the members of the church rooted in selfish ambition and self-importance rather than selfless service and a humble consideration of others being more significant than yourself. So, look back with me at verses 3 to 4 of chapter 2. Paul says, Do nothing... From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Paul expresses here that he wants the Philippians to do all that they do for one another out of a position of humility. So he makes the statement in a negative. Don't do anything. If you're going to do it, and it's rooted in self-ambition, uh, and if it's, if it's rooted in conceit, don't do it. It's not going to be helpful. As helpful as you may think it may be, it's not. The idea here is that the Philippians were not to act in a way towards one another that expresses some greedy attempt to be seen as better than one another. Or... Neither should they be underhanded in the ways in which they interact with and serve one another. So if you're looking to get some praise for your acts of service, this is not the place to do it. If you're seeking to undermine the work of the gospel and the unity of this church, this is not the place to do it. I'm going to be the first one to tell you. And it's not just me that fights for it. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that God fights for the unity of His church. The power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be found working against God. Paul is urging us to consider others and their interests more significant than ourselves and our interests. And interest here is a, is a very like broad category, okay? If you're going like, well, Paul, I need some clarity. Paul is an intentionally unclear here. So this could include things like the interest of finances, the interest of family, the interest of our education, this, our successes, our careers, our reputations, and even our property. The things of this world that draw our interest and consume our thoughts, our energy, our efforts, and our times. We are not only to have an awareness of this ourselves and our own interest, 
But in an act of selflessness, we are to consider and look after and look to the interest of our brothers and sisters sitting in the pews right next to you. We are being pressed to know one another well. How else can you be interested in your brother's or sister's interest if you keep them all at an arm's distance and you don't involve yourselves in their lives? So what should we do? We should devote time with and to get to know one another so well that the interest of our fellow members becomes our interests. Now, one of the ways that God presses this in my life to help me to help me reorient to a selflessness often shows up in my parenting. Uh, Because typically, often my youngest will come to me and but the others come as well. And they ask to play or to read or to join them in what they're interested in. But what do I do? Oh, I'm so tired. I've been working all day. Don't you know? I make it possible for you to eat. There's a book I want to read. I don't want to read the book you want to read. I want to scroll on social media. Don't you know? These are my interests. But God is using them to help me grow in my ability to consider their interest and your interest in the end, above my own. So this can show up in various ways in our own lives, in your life. Think about this. What vested interest do you have in the career of your fellow member? Think about it. What vested interest do you have in the career of the members and visitors of this church sitting around you? I'll be honest. I've not taken much vested interest in anyone other, anybody else's career but my own. What, are you, what ways are you getting to know one another so that you're addressing motives behind why someone would change their job or seek a higher salary? I mean, yes, it could be for good and godly reasons that people do that. I don't want to make it sound like career advancement or getting paid better is something bad. But we do need to ask about the motives of our heart of why we seek those things out. How are you praying for, encouraging, and ensuring that a fellow member who wants to start a family by either getting married or growing their family by having a child is doing it as the Lord has intended? Are are singles, are are you thinking of marriage, or are they thinking of marriage that it might solve problems that they're experiencing? Or maybe our husbands and wives are thinking that if we only just had another child or a child, that that might bring the desired happiness and unity between the husband and the wife. Do we know each other that well? Are you practicing the ministry of presence, which literally is being merely present with one another, being around each other? We have brothers and sisters here that have had friends that have moved away, lost loved ones due to the ways of this world and to the nature of this city. Do you have time to meet the need of another member by letting them just pop in on you randomly? 
Or does everyone have to schedule your time 2.52 weeks in advance because of how slavishly we adhere to our calendars of work, success, and play? And, And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that as a church that we are off the rails in this, okay? Many of you have considered others' interests above your own. When COVID-19 and the pandemic hit, and then when, we decide, when, when our local government decided to go into lockdowns, we opened up the Benevolence Fund, and many of you gave to that Benevolence Fund so that if needs arose, someone lost their job, something happened, that, it was, that people weren't making as much money as they had, that we would be able to meet the needs of one another as they arose. You gave sacrificially to do that. And then I heard uh, about a month ago that a registry popped up to give the Conkles uh, food as they brought their newborn baby home. I was blessed to hear that all the slots in that sign-up were filled within about two hours. And this was the week after Christmas when many of you were out of town. We are doing things to selflessly serve one another. I ask you to continue to do these things well. And let us grow even in our places where we have shortcomings in this. Because this is a value. This is, if people look in from the outside, this is what we want them to, us, them to know us by. At least one aspect of it. So one of the greatest ways that we can do this is by considering our own motives when we do or do not serve. So why do you make the choices that you make when you do serve or do not serve? We, we, don't, we do not serve one another because we think that someone has earned our service or that they're now worthy of our time. No, we, we do this out of, we don't, we, that's selfishness and conceit. Rather, we serve others because we esteem them as already being. We, we already think highly of them, so why not give ourselves to them? They're not earning our time. Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. said of verse 4, This verse is is good and godly advice for all of our interpersonal relationships. Just imagine what it would be like if husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters, neighbors, co-workers and classmates would look not only to their own interests, but the interests of others. All the more, Pastor H.B. says, all the more imagine the love, power, and witness for Christ the church would have in the world if we would get beyond our personal agendas and show interest for the concerns of others. Paul writes in Galatians 5.13, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Why has Christ set you free? It is not merely for you, but for others. We are to be a people marked by genuine acts of selfless service. And we see in the text that Paul moves from this call to selfless service within the body to how is it even possible that we could be so selfless? How is it that Christians can think this way, act this way, be this way, be known this way. Well, let's look to verses 5 to 8 to see how we can humbly consider others. 
Paul says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of the servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In these verses, Paul articulates the mind of Christ. If there is any mind to be known, it is the mind of Christ, friend. Which is, for those of us who have believed and trusted in Christ and repented of our sin, he says astoundingly, it's ours too. If we're in Christ, the same mind of Jesus is our mind. That is that we have the same thoughts about ourselves as Christ thought about Himself. Note what Paul writes here. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One that the people of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, they've been waiting for for centuries the high king of heaven has come all the way down to earth as a human in the lowest position he could possibly come to. He went from the king of glory, the eternal word who created all things seen and unseen with his word to be a servant, slave, and bondservant. He could have come as an earthly king, but he humbled himself. He could have come as an elthy, a wealthy elder of Jerusalem or Israel, but he humbled himself. He could have come as a business owner with unlimited influence, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of to become a slave to all and a servant of the elect that he might live and die for the people of God to be in complete abject humiliation to secure for us our salvation. That, friend, is good news. That is worth believing. That is worth selflessly serving one another. Giving of yourself to believe and trust in Christ Jesus who lives and dies for you and was raised to new life. You can believe that good news today. You can stake your life on it. You can give of yourself because of it. But we must consider what it truly means for our Savior, the rightful heir to the throne of God, to empty himself. Because I don't know if it happens to you, but there are times when I read things in the text that God has given us, his holy word, and I go, what does that mean? Jesus emptied himself. Like, was he like a cup of water and he just pours himself out on the ground? Like, what, what does that mean? And I want to give you a little bit of a warning here. In this text is where heresies or heralding abound. Heresies or heralding can abound on this verse and this verse alone. So what does it not mean? Well, Jesus in no way renounced 
his kingly position by becoming something less than God. We have visitors with us this morning in the ceiling. Sorry about that. Lord, help us. But our King Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the revealed one of the scriptures who came to live and die for us, did not renounce his kingly position by becoming something less than God. If Jesus is something less than God, then God ceases to exist. Nor did he become something as though just merely a man, not divine at all. The Bible, the scriptures reveal to us that he is the divine God-man, both in one. And he did not become God inside of the shell of a man, like the oak, in, the yolk inside of an eggshell. So what does it mean? I would submit to you that Christ, in this text, in verse 7, we is revealed to us that Christ, in an act of divine will, laid aside his heavenly glory and the independent use of his authority, his divine prerogatives and eternal riches and favorable position to the Father. But at no time did he ever stop being God. This act, this divine act of Christ is called his condescension. His decision was not merely an act of ability. Like Jesus was like, hey, like, hold my cell phone and watch this. <laughs> Somebody get this on TikTok. <laughs> like, he possessed the ability to simultaneously exist as divine and human at one time. But it wasn't just a mere show of power or ability. No, Christ's condescension was an act to demonstrate the distance that he would travel from the right hand of the Father all the way to the crucifixion on a rugged cross to secure your eternity who believe in him with God. That's how far Jesus went. He traveled a distance only that he could travel to make us into what we could never make ourselves into. From heaven's throne to bondservant of the elect, nailed to the cross to make you unrighteous, unworthy, unsavable, righteous, resurrected, and glorified. In, in a pure act of humility, Christ knew exactly who he was. And he did not see a quality of God as something to be grasped and held onto and wielded at will to show off his power. No. He knew himself so well that if he would obey the Father, that he would and lay aside all of these things, that he would not lose any essence of his divine nature. And then, being obedient, he laid aside his rights to accomplish God's redemptive plan for his glory and your restoration. Like, that is good news, friends. So, Christ like humility is knowing oneself, one's rights, and our position, and then. Willingly laying it aside 
to serve others considering others more significant than ourselves. So I'm going to say that again if you're jotting down and taking notes. Christ-like humility is knowing oneself, one's rights, and one's position, and then willingly laying it aside to serve others considering them more significant than yourself. And one of the ways that we can be Christ-like, and this may shock some of you constitutional lovers in here, one of the ways that we can be most Christ-like is willingly laying aside our inalienable rights. Our rights in ethnicity, our rights in economy, our rights in political, our rights in the religious, our rights personally, our familial rights to love and selflessly serve one another. What's holding you back? What are you holding on to so much that you're not willing to walk over and love your brother or sister and serve them? Because we can lay aside our rights because the Holy Spirit empowers us to act in accordance with godly humility that leads to mutual affection for one another. This is how they will know you, that you're the disciple of Jesus. That you love one another this way. You sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others as an act of divine love. Divine love that's been extended to us and divine love that we want to extend to others. Christ's death on the cross was what could also be classified as a sacrifice. A sacrificial death. Crucifixion. Death on a cross was the most, most painful form of execution in the ancient world. It was cruel and unusual punishment by death of suffocation, and it would take days to accomplish. It was so painful, I learned this this week, it was so painful that a new term in Latin was used to describe the agony of the cross. That term that we have today is excruciating. Our Savior was obedient to the point of death, even death on an excruciating cross. Crucifixion was not just execution. It was torture. And in verse 8, says that he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, which declares the totality of Christ's obedience. But then when it says even death on the cross, it declares the extent of his obedience. And since our Savior sacrificed for us, brothers and sisters, I think that we can find it no small thing to sacrifice for one another in humble acts of selfless service. Husbands, yes, I'm talking to the men in the room right now who have brides. You can serve your wife this week in a number of ways. Give her a day off. Tell her to take the day off of work. Take care of things around the house. Love her. Or maybe 
You say, I'm going to schedule a date night. I'm going to get the babysitter. I'm going to make the plans. Or maybe let her sleep in two Saturdays from now, not one Saturday from now, (laughs) because next Saturday you're going to be at the marriage workshop. (laughs) But let her sleep in two Saturdays from now. Okay? Families. Families. Serve our singles by having them over for dinner, including them in your family activities. Yes, and I, I will venture to say that Aaron Stubbs is not the only one who likes free dinners, okay? <clears throat> um, get to know their birthdays and give them a gift. Be their family while they're here, well away from their families. Or maybe families that you could participate in our partnership with DC-127 by fostering in DC and submitting even to the interest of the district to love the children of the district by doing everything that they can to reunify those children in the city to their families and their communities. Singles. Yes, those of you who are not married are in my sight now. Aaron Stubbs. Are you spending time with others that are different than you? Or are you only only surrounded by people just like you? You can serve families by watching kids. You can spend time with people who have completely different interests than you. And and I just want to say this. Like, like this doesn't mean that somebody's interested in you or wants to date you. Like, I'm not trying to set up a dating service here. I'm saying that we as a church can mutually love one another in such a way that other interests can become our interest. Like, you may not like axe throwing, but like, I want to throw an axe, okay? Like, come on. You can also serve families by watching kids and in which I'm grateful that many of you are doing or next weekend at the, for the marriage workshop and coming along the side of families. Uh, I know I, need, I owe some people some phone calls, but I'll, I'm going to do that. I also know that Jared mentioned earlier this week that there is actually a church planter in our city that has not had a date night with his wife in nearly three years. And I know that there are people that are working right now to schedule a time where that planter can take a date night. I'm grateful for that. But maybe you do it more than just a one-off. Maybe you set up a few times with that planter and his family that you could serve them, or maybe we get three, or maybe a team of you to help serve that guy. But not only think about planters that are already here, but I mean, they even think about the fact that we may send a church planter out in the area one day. How are you thinking through how you'll serve that church plant in various ways, in a selfless, sacrificial way? And I'll just say that none of this is going to be easy. Hey, Jesus didn't call us to easy. He called us to sacrifice. We need the Spirit at work in us to do these things. Like the, you don't wake up and hit your feet on the ground and be like, how can I go serve Kendall today? I love Kendall very dearly. She's a, she's a dear sister. I just don't, I don't that doesn't, that's not the first thing. I'm like, I need coffee. I need to get, I hope my car starts and I got to get to the job site by a certain time. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about. But, we'll, but, it, but if we do these uneasy things, it will demonstrate how we love one another and our neighbors so that we live sacrificial lives considering others more significant than ourselves. And, and you know, I, I threw out a bunch of ideas, application of this text, but don't go on my, my ideas alone. Like, 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meet, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in this meeting of the saints, we are to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So stick around after the service, encouraging one another, loving on one another, having a cup of coffee together and eating a snack together in order that you might figure out how to serve one another and accomplish the good works that God has ordained for you to do. If you want to do good in this world, do the work of God. So let us be a church who loves our God and our Savior, and then willfully and joyfully submits to His ways. Namely, that we selflessly serve one another, humbly considering others and their interests more significant than our own. Rather than trying to wade into the currents of self-exaltation and self-actualization, let us be servants of one another in submission to God and in the likeness of the mind of Christ Jesus. What an even more amazing church this will be if we truly count others more significant than ourselves. And I truly believe, brothers and sisters, that if we do this, wholeheartedly, in joyful obedience to Jesus, I truly believe that we will obey Jesus' words in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, I want you to hear in those words, just as I loved you, the condescension of Jesus. From king to slave. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh God, we need your help. Let us pray. God, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for the challenge it is to selflessly serve one another. God, I am so grateful for this church who has done many good works in the name of Christ Jesus, have selflessly served one another. But God, I pray that where we are blind and where we are not doing this well, that we would grow and we would do it better. All for your glory. All for the interest of others. All because of the interest and love and affection that you set on us through your Son, Jesus. Stepping from heaven to earth to be born in the likeness of men. Found in the form of a servant. Obedient to the point of death on the cross. Oh God, may we be like our Savior. May we have this mind among us that we may know and the world may know that we are disciples of Jesus and Jesus alone. Praise and glory and honor be unto you, God. We pray these things in his mighty and precious name. Amen.